continue with the gospel story this week. If you're new, if you haven't been around, my name is Nick. I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at Alliance Fellowship, very soon to be Gallatin Valley Church. I'm excited. We have, we have some logos done. We got some stuff. Pretty soon, we will be able to make that official change to our name. And uh, we're going to continue, like I said, the gospel. We started, uh, I think this is week nine of the gospel series. And uh, we are just going chronologically through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're going to continue to do that. If you want to, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter three today. So if you have a Bible or device that you want to open up to, that's where we are going to be. Last week, Ryan began to speak about John the Baptist now that he is an adult the last time that we saw John before this, he would, had just been born to his parents who were well stricken in years. That's the Bible's really nice way of saying they old, right? They old, and they just had a baby. And so now John is a grown man, and we don't know if his parents are still around, but he's a grown man, and he's not exactly what we would call a normal guy. John the Baptist was very odd compared to the people in his own world. I think he would be very odd today. We're going to read Matthew chapter 3, the first six verses, just to start out. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now you're going to see why John's a little odd. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, stop there. John's radical nature did not stop with just the way that he looked. The things that he was preaching were also incredibly radical. If you would flip over to Luke chapter 3 as we kind of stay chronologically together, but in another gospel, just flip a few pages over to the right to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 14, and listen to some of the crazy things that John the Baptist has to say. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Even every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content 
with your wages. So we look at these things, and it might sound normal to us a little bit, but in his context, the things that John is saying are wild. He starts out, you imagine you go to get baptized by a pastor, and the first thing he says to you is, you brood of vipers. It's not exactly the warm, welcoming, you know, seeker-friendly church of the early 2000s. Right? He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? To flee from this wrath. I don't know this. I think John is legitimately surprised to see these people. He sees these people who their whole life is about just kind of looking the right way, but not really about like following God. And so he sees them. He says, who who told you to flee from this wrath? I think he's legitimately shocked that they are there. And then John tells these people, these Jewish people who find their entire identity in their Jewishness, in their chosenness, he says to them, none of that matters. Don't just sit back and rest on your laurel saying, I'm a child of Abraham. He says, if God wants to make children of Abraham, he'll turn the rocks into children of Abraham. It's not about that. You can't simply just depend on that. He's telling them, We cannot rest on this. We have to seek repentance for our sins. That they need to seek repentance for what they have done against God and turn away from their sins and turn back towards God. And then he doubles down on this idea of racial and national identity not being the thing that will save them by telling them that there is already an axe to the roots of the tree. This would have been pretty close to heresy for the people he's talking to to say that god is holding an axe to the roots of israel was a shocking thing for john the baptist to say he tells them you better watch out because the trees who don't bear fruit will be chopped down and then he tells them to practice radical hospitality to care for those who are in need even if it means giving up some of their extra. Now, I know that's normal for Americans, right? We just give, give, give. We never hoard for ourselves. But he says, if you have two tunics, give one to somebody who doesn't. If you have extra food, take care of those who don't. This message is radical for them. And then the tax collectors, I love this. They are... They're known, if you don't know, tax collectors are the most looked down upon people in all of society. Then also. <laughs> and they say, teacher, because, right, they're known for their greed and for stealing from people. That's what they're known for. And so then they come and they're like, teacher, what shall we do? And he says, don't do that. You know, you know that whole thing you do? Stop. And then the soldiers come. They're known for extorting money and for making threats based on lies and threatening physical harm. And they say, what shall we do? And John says, you know that thing you do? Don't do that. Isn't it funny? Like a lot of times I think we already know what's wrong. We already know exactly like what's broken in us. 
And so we come to God and, and maybe we pray, God, would you search out my soul and show me what's wrong? God's like, you know exactly what's wrong. You know exactly what you're doing that is not honoring to me, not honoring to the people around me. We already know the brokenness. Isn't that the craziest thing about us as individuals? Someone else might look at you and say, like, you have it all together. And we're like, oh, you have no idea. Somebody, my wife just told me this last week, some woman at the church came and said, you just seem like you have everything together. You're so, and she just laughed and laughed. She's like, they have no idea. Because you know the depths of what's going on in yourself. And I think these people did too. So the tax collectors, the soldiers say, teacher, what should we do? He's like, ah, you know. You know what you shouldn't be doing. You know what you need to do. You need to repent from the brokenness and from the sin, and you need to turn towards God. The things that John was saying were so radical that some of the people in the crowds even started to murmur, is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And John immediately puts that puts the kibosh on that. He answers swiftly back to Matthew 3. If you want to, you can jump back there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, if anyone doesn't like that, I'm wearing sandals on stage. It's biblical right here. Sandals. (laughs) Thank you. So John the Baptist comes and he's saying these wild things. People start to murmur. He says, no, no, it's not me. I love that because that's what we always need to do. If we're ever getting any kind of glory or praise for the things that we're doing for the Lord, we should immediately say, no, I'm not worthy to even carry his sandals. I'm only doing this because I'm called by him. This is the posture that all of us should take when we receive any kind of glory for the work of Jesus. John makes his direct connection between baptism and repentance. Don't miss that. For John, he's coming and he's baptizing, calling people away from their sins to turn 180 degrees away from their sin and turn towards Jesus. And that's what baptism represents for him. For John, baptism always follows the repentance of our hearts. The baptism ritual was an external symbol, and still is. It is an external symbol of an internal shift in us. And why do we repent? Why is John calling all of them to repent? He tells us, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, don't we? We want to be a part of what God is doing in this world in the future. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and turn towards him. But then John also says, he's just somebody who's preparing the way for somebody to come who is greater than he. Somebody who he can't even carry his sandals, or in another, way, another version, he might say, I, I, can't, I can't even tie his shoes. I'm not worthy of tying his shoes. And that his baptism, the one who is to come, 
will be greater because it will be the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. And then in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, we see this very thing come to fruition. And for the first time in our chronological journey through these stories, we're going to see Jesus as a grown man. We've skipped basically from him being an infant, and then Ryan shared one little story from when he's 12 years old. And then we don't see him for 18 years. We don't know a whole lot about him other than that he's a carpenter or more likely a a stonemason in their time. He's working with his earthly father, Joseph. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we get this story. He's 30 years old and we are dropped into the middle of a story. And Jesus shows up. Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for all for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There is so much in this paragraph that we could unpack. I'm not going to spend a month talking about the baptism of Jesus like I did last summer. But there's so much. I love this. John the Baptist tries to talk Jesus out of it. Isn't that great? Jesus comes to him and says, do this. He's like, nah, I don't think so. That's not a good idea. No, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. And he says, let it be so now. Basically letting him know that this is what needs to happen to fulfill the prophecies from the Old Testament. And also... Have you ever thought about this? Jesus gets baptized, but we just talked about what is baptism. It, it's a symbol of repentance. Does Jesus need to repent? No, he's never done anything wrong, right? Which a couple of people asked me last week. Ryan made a kind of an off-the-cuff remark about, you know, when Jesus was a young man, did he disobey his parents? No. No. But we don't know what that looks like. But Jesus goes and gets baptized, even though he doesn't need to repent. So why does he do that? Because he's modeling for us what we need to do. So many things in the life of Jesus are him just modeling for us what we need to do. It's amazing. And I know this too, and I said this last year if you were around, but there's something very different about Jesus' baptized baptism. I've baptized a lot of people in my life, and not one single time has the sky ripped open and the voice of God and the Holy Spirit of God in the form of a literal bird descended down upon somebody, and then God said, this is my child. Like, not once. Not even when I got baptized. (laughs) Terrible joke. And so Jesus allows John the Baptist to baptize him. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill 
all righteousness. Jesus says this is what needs to happen. And this kicks off the public ministry of Jesus for the following three years of his life. Now, like I said, last summer we spent a whole uh, six-week sermon series on baptism. We're not going to do that now, but I do want to say this. In July, we're going to have a cookout like we're going to at the end of June, and we're going to do baptisms. And if you need to get baptized, if you want to get baptized, I would love the opportunity to baptize you because it's something that God has called us to do. What is baptism, right? It, like, it goes all the way back to the Jewish times. And baptism literally means to be immersed, submerged, or overwhelmed by. I love that last one, to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. It started with the Jewish people. They would have these, these wash basins called mikvahs, a small pool for cleansing yourself from sin before you enter into the temple so that you wouldn't be defiled when you went to the temple. It was an ancient practice of Israel to use these pools for cleansing, and if anybody became ceremonially unclean, they would go and do this. They would wash in the mikvah so that they could go to temple again. And the idea was that the person was cleansed and prepared to come before God. For us, our cleansing comes from Jesus, from the forgiveness of our sins, from our repentance, and for what he did on the cross. And so for us today, baptism is like we've talked about. It is a symbol for that cleansing. It is an outward symbol for an inward decision that we have made. And so we do that because God has called us to do it, to be in harmony with the Father. And this was a big deal to Jesus. I've met so many people, and I said, oh, have you been baptized? They're like, ah, I haven't gotten really around to it. I met a woman once who was in her 60s. She had never been baptized because she was embarrassed to have wet hair in front of people. She had been a Christian her entire life, and that's why she hadn't been baptized. And I don't mean to make fun of her, but come on. It's a big deal to Jesus. He says it in the Great Commission. In his final words, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission that we've probably all heard a hundred times, a thousand times. And he talks about baptism. He says three main things as he's getting ready to leave He says, disciples, apostles, here's what you need to do. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to follow the word. It's a really big deal. Some of his final commands, he tells them, this is what you're called to do. And yet some people just kind of say, I've never really gotten around to it. I want to give you two really important reasons to get around to it if you haven't. One, it identifies you with Christ. He modeled it for us so that we could be like him, so that we can stand before our church family and say, I've made this decision, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And like so often when our little kids 
do things just because they want to be like mom. They want to be like dad. Look at Jesus and say, I want to be like my Savior. Identify with him. And number two, it's his instruction. If there's no other reason to get baptized other than Jesus said so, then we should do it, right? He calls us to do it. Right there in the Great Commission, it's his command. Repent and be baptized. I hope that that alone will cause somebody in here who hasn't been baptized to realize, like, I need to do this. It's what God has called me to. However, as we talked about, baptism is a symbol of something much, much greater. It's a symbol of what's going on inside of us. We get baptized as a public declaration of something that has taken place in us that we have sought the forgiveness of God for the sin in our lives the sin that once separated us from him and we have asked him to be our Lord and our Savior from that moment on I got baptized when I was 16 years old at a spiritual life retreat for my Baptist high school when I came to know Jesus as my Savior, I was 13, so there was three years there where I was growing and kind of getting to know the Lord, and then I felt very convicted that I had not been baptized before, and so I did, because he called me to. So at the camp when I was 13, somebody explained the gospel to me, and I started this journey of following Jesus that I'm still on today, but that day I came to know the power of the gospel in my life. So we've been talking for nine weeks about the gospel. But we're talking about it just kind of as a story of Jesus. But the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is the power of God to change us, to shift us. If you don't know what that gospel is, I want you to hear it today. I want to share with you a simple way to understand this that's been around for a long time. And I think it's one of the most simple ways people, if you... Haven't heard it. Bear with me if you've heard this a thousand times, but have you heard of the Romans Road? The Romans Road is one of the most simple ways, if you haven't heard it. In the letter to Rome that Paul wrote, he writes some of the most amazing theological truths in all of the Bible. And if you take a few of those and just kind of put them in line, you can see this entire story, this gospel that changes the universe. Romans 3.23 tells us very simply, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Would anybody raise their hand right now and say, I have never sinned? Okay, good. Heretic, no. I've never sinned, right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A couple chapters after that, Romans 6 He says, this is the wages of that sin. For all of us have sinned, and the wage of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've all sinned. The wage of sin is death. But there's a gift that comes from Jesus, and it's eternal life. In Romans 5.8, we step back a second, this amazing verse. But God shows his love for us that, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is such an amazing verse, guys. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people 
where they say, like, I, I want to go to church, I want to love Jesus, but I've got to get my stuff together first. I've got to get my life on track, and then I'll go to church. It will never happen. If you're trying to get yourself on track before you come to Jesus, you will die in that state. But this verse tells us, while we were still sinners, in the midst of our brokenness, God still loves us. And so we've all sinned. There's a wage that is death. There's a gift that comes from Jesus. And he's willing to give us that gift while we're still sinners. And then Romans 10.9 gives us the how. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Are you living your life in shame? Just broken, lost before God? He tells us how to get back into harmony with God. Now, if you've grown up in church or you've been around churches for a while, you're probably expecting me to now say, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm going to pray a prayer and you're going to pray a prayer and then you're saved. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do that because it's not actually biblical. That's not what we see in the scriptures. Jesus never leads anybody in a sinner's prayer. And unfortunately, many people, and I don't mean to pick at this because this is how I got saved. I went to camp. I did the sinner's prayer and all that stuff. But it's not a biblical model. And so some people have turned this into a get-out-of-hell-free card. Say like, oh, are you are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I prayed a prayer one time at camp when I was 13. Well, you're 58 now. What does that mean? It's not the biblical model. Here's what the biblical model is. Jesus comes to people, both back then and now, and he looks at them, he looks at you, and he says, follow me. That's it. Follow me. You begin to understand this gospel, this life-changing good news of Jesus. And it's not just about fire insurance. And it's not just about, like, making yourself a better person. It is about completely realigning your life. Repentance literally means to turn 180 degrees from where you were going and head in another direction. And Jesus says, turn and follow me. And then you begin to start following him and you start that journey that will last the rest of your life. And then all the theological stuff will come. Learning to be a disciple will come as long as you stay engaged with a community of believers like this one. But the first step is to just listen to the call of Jesus and begin 
to follow him. And so for us, that means being engaged in a church, reading the word of God, praying, serving others, seeking his will for your life. It can mean so many things. But that's the model that the word of God gives us. You know you're broken. You know you're lost. You know that the wage of that is eternal separation and death. And yet there's a free gift. And Jesus says, I want to give you this. Just follow me. So if you haven't heard that message before, if you have and you've kind of fallen back, backslidden, what are you going to do with those words today? What do you do with the words, follow me? Because that is the good news. We're going to talk for a year about the gospel, the stories, and all that stuff, but all of it comes back to the gospel, which is the power of God to transform our lives and our eternities. It all comes back to this call from Jesus. Follow me. Are you in? Will you heed that call and not just pray a prayer, but say, you know what? I'm going to reorient my entire existence to Jesus. I know that's a big call, but I love that. People that turn the gospel story into this little thing are lying to you. It is nothing short of Jesus saying, I want everything in your life. I want you to reorient your entire existence. And so I'm not going to ask you to bow your head, pray, or anything like that today. But I am going to ask you this. If you're here today and and those words are in you and, and you make a choice inside of yourself that you are going to begin to follow Jesus in a new or different way, I would love to hear from you or one of our elders, we would love to hear from you, not just because we're keeping track of things on pieces of paper, but because we want to pray for you. We want to make sure that you have a a Bible. We want to make sure that you're engaged in a church, and hopefully soon we're going to have some small groups launching in our church. We want to make sure that there are people around you who are encouraging you in this following of Jesus, because all of us who have been following Jesus for a while will tell you, You never get perfect at it. I have to call my brothers, the elders of the church, all the time and say, like, what what am I doing? Help me, pray for me, love me. And they do. Because we are all on this journey together. And some of you may have been doing this for well-stricken in years. And some of you may be making a decision today. But we're all on this journey together. And God has called us to be a community, to love one another, and to encourage one another to follow Jesus. And so will you do that? Will you answer Jesus? So we see people in the word when he says things like, follow me. You have people like Peter and Andrew who drop everything and say, okay. But then you have people like the rich young ruler says, I I got some things I need to sort out first, and then I'll come follow you. Don't be that guy. 
Listen to the word of God. Look at the biblical model of what it means to become a Christian, to follow Jesus. When he looks at you and he says, follow me, do you say, yeah, let's do this.